Hey, Sixes, welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy. Today ended up being kind of a two-parter. In the first half, I really hang out in what it looks like when we get close to or touch into this red flag fear of thinking we have done something to harm our own security, what that really can feel and look like. In the second half, I do a pretty broad overview with some pretty uncomfortable personal examples of our relationship to authority. So some pretty core 60 stuff in this one. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, sixes. Welcome. Okay, today we're going to be talking about our relationship to authority, internal and external. I want to premise this episode by saying this stuff is not exactly pretty. It's not terribly nice to look at. So a couple different things I want to bring in the room. Why, why go there? I mean, this whole authority deal is such a huge part of the 6E personality structure and all of its different sort of behavioral manifestations. It's really not something we can avoid if we want to build self-awareness. And the idea is we want to build self-awareness so that we can see in real time the adaptive strategies that we have on board in play so we can make choice. So we can actually ask ourselves, oh, do I want to be doing that thing that I automatically do? Do I want to be acting out the adaptive strategies that I brought online for really good reason? Right? I mean, I think something I really want to bring back in the room over and over and over is that we developed the adaptive strategies that we have for very good reason in order to feel a sense of safety, certainty, security, stability, so that we can maneuver through life, which is really difficult. Life is really difficult. And so we all have coping mechanisms, adaptive strategies, et cetera, et cetera, that help us do that. And at some point, we usually start to realize there are just things in our life that are not working. And while we cannot fix a lot of the things that aren't working, we can go inside and really wrestle with the parts that we are contributing to our own experience. Again, we cannot fix a lot of the external things that we deal with as humans, of course. We can have an impact on our own experience of those things to some degree and be able to make different choices in our lives around how we relate to authority. This is a this is just huge. It's a huge piece of what we're working with. So some self-care, some self-kindness as we walk towards some painful stuff. The other thing that is really important for us to know as sixes. We have a particular, mm, I'm going to say challenge when it comes to self-awareness. A lot of times we can get it in our minds, right? We're very smart. We can understand things very well. And that's just one thing. 
that's just intellectual understanding of something is entirely different than actually applying that understanding in our lives. The challenge we come across as sixes is one of the most terrifying internal experiences we can have is if our system thinks that we have done something to compromise our own sense of security. That right there is extremely terrifying. One of the most terrifying experiences for a six. So kind of start to see where I'm going here. As we're walking towards self-awareness, looking at ourselves, and we have this sort of fundamental avoidance of this idea that we could really do something to compromise our own security, you can kind of see how those might repel each other a little bit. Because self-awareness is in fact awareness of how we are operating in the world. It brings us in contact with the ways that we might be intersecting with other people in a world, in the world, in the ways that we aren't currently aware of. Our attention is outward. Our attention is security seeking externally. Our attention is to potential threat and what others might be doing to impact our security. And that gives us a certain stability. It gives us a certain sense that we are doing what we need to do, paying attention to what we need to pay attention to. As we are doing that, we are by nature of attention missing the ways that we might be intersecting with the external world and the impact that we might be having. That is by design. That is by design. So we're essentially upsetting the design of our protective mechanisms to ask ourselves, how am I contributing to this difficulty, to this stress that I'm having? What am I doing that might be contributing to that? We are upsetting the design of our safety structures to look at that. And again, it's one thing to consider these things intellectually. It's another thing to contact that level of awareness in real time. Because what that does for us is potentially plunge us into this state and this experience that we have if we believe we have harmed our own security. So one thing to become aware of is what happens inside me and what do I do when I have registered, maybe I have done something to compromise my security. And what does that mean? That means maybe I have done something that has worsened conflict in my relationships, or I have done something that maybe now this other person is going to think something about me. We don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of, well, sometimes people do things that are weird. And sometimes I do things that are weird, right? Until we've developed a somewhat sturdy internal sense, we're operating in this world of, I need to be 
steadfast, reliable, loyal to this external thing and watching how they are or aren't being that way. That's sort of the unconscious relationship dynamic that we're looking out for. And it's it's fairly rigid in terms of I need this external thing, person, whatever, to be operating in a certain way to sort of reflect to me that everything is okay. And I'm operating in a way where it's like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've got an eye on things here. So, you know, don't look at me if things are out of sorts, like that's on you. Well, of course, at times, that sort of against sturdy feeling that we can get, it, it evaporates, it dissolves. And that can look like a fear that, uh-oh, now, now that person is going to think things about me. Now I'm going to get in some kind of trouble. Now I'm, now I've had it basically, right? I've shared with you all multiple times now, the thought that my brain offers me, which is, well, now you've ruined it all. Like my brain truly believes one false move, one wrong word, and longstanding relationships will just crumble into thin air. Or, you know, my entire business will just dissolve. Something terrible will happen, right? That is inside. Like I have that. And my brain will offer me that thought as sort of like, a, um, you know, it's it's like the thought that, can just ruin any moment. So there's one example I have. So the question I have for you is, what does it sound like in my mind? Or what does it look like in my behavior when I go into damage control? Damage control is going to look like a lot of ingratiating apology. This is, oh gosh, my daughter does this. And it just breaks my heart because I see it. I see it already. I'm like, oh man, shoot, she's got it. Where if she senses that I am upset and I might be upset at her, she can be being as obstinate as any good 11-year-old should be. And it's a sudden shift to like, mom, are you mad at me? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it just breaks my heart because, well, for obvious reasons. But so you put that in an adult and it's this instant like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so terrible. I'm awful. And it's this sort of can be this sort of retreat and plunge into shame where then instead of the other person maybe being mad at you, now they're like, oh, what's going on? Like it's like it's a distancing thing, right? Shame is a retreat. It's a distancing, um, we could say, safety-creating maneuver. You know, every single thing that's going on inside us serves some purpose. Whether we are aware of what that purpose is or not, it's doing something that it thinks it needs to do to keep us safe in that moment. So that sort of plunge into shame, distancing, over-apologizing, ingratiating thing that sixes can do that would be an example of damage control, right? Uh-oh, I think I've done something to harm this relationship. I'm gonna fix it. 
So plunging into shame could be one or just really moving toward the person in a, what can I do? Uh, I'm so sorry. I totally screwed up like a real sort of over apologetic stance where they don't have really room to say anything or any room to be upset. This is when you'll get a lot of like, I asked what I could do. I said that I was sorry. Right. And they didn't make it right quite quick enough for us. And so that can become this like, I tried to fix it and I couldn't fix it. So it's that whole trying to fix. That's another way the damage control can show up. Another way is straight attack, right? Well, it's not me, it's you. This is because you dot, 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 dot. These are all behaviors that we don't like when they happen to us for obvious reasons. And so getting our minds and bodies around the fact that we do these things. Oh, another thing we can do is just uh, sort of dishonestly test, right? Just kind of like throw things out to see how the relationship is. We'll just kind of like lob something, but it isn't clean. We're lobbing it to, to see what's going on over there. We want to get the temperature of that person in regard to us. None of these things are bad. None of these things are uh, terrible behaviors. These are things I have done every single one of those things in my life, in my relationships, every single one of them. I've gone on the full attack. I have just, you know, tested the waters. I have collapsed in shame. I have over apologized. I mean, these are just the things that come out of us automatically when we are in damage control, damage control caused by this sense internally, uh oh, I've done something that might upset my security here, better fix the situation. So to just know what comes out of you when that thought is on board is extremely useful information, especially if you can just hold it with some care and some understanding of like, yeah, ooh, yep, yep humans sure do do human things well all the time particularly when they are feeling under threat under perceived attack etc 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 of course we do human things which of those resonates for you we tend to lean on different strategies sometimes just we tend to lean on different strategies or sometimes it totally depends on the circumstance and where we actually have enough safety to uh, explore. So another thing we might do as sixes is instead of doing any of those things directly to another person, we might just go and talk to someone about it and exhibit all of those other things, right? This is where you get a lot of gathering allies and sort of retreating from the situation and then talking about it with someone else. Again, that's not bad. Processing something through with someone is a real useful <laughs> human strategy. It's kind of what's coming out when we're doing that. Did we go and just vent and maybe emotionally 
dump on someone? Are we trying to get them on our side? And if they don't get on our side, that's a whole nother level of plunge. Okay, maybe I'm getting too far in the weeds, but I'm assuming you all can follow along and relate to what I'm saying here, even though I got a little off track. I think the specific examples are so important. I think our ability to look at, oh gosh, yeah, I do that one. Oh, I do that one. And then others that I'm not mentioning, right? This question, what do you do when you, your system says, oh, time to go into damage control mode? What does that look like for you? Super, super, super useful to get to know as we look at this authority thing that we've got going on. Okay, so that was a lot of setup haven't even really gotten into what I want to talk about yet. I think all that is useful though, as it can help this become more than just an intellectual exercise in understanding sixes and rather some bridges to really noticing how these patterns play out in our own lives to the degree that our system can do that. This is the other thing to kind of keep in mind. Our system will only take in what it can. We really can't, we, our own selves, can't really push it past that. It just won't allow. I mean, we have so many safety mechanisms in place, safety mechanisms by way of these adaptive strategies that we've developed over a lifetime. We develop them and we practice them and use them and practice them and use them and practice them and use them. So they're there helping us stay exactly where we're at. This is why it's so useful to get help if we actually want to do different things because we have so many strategies in place to not change. And that just makes really good sense. This is why, oh my gosh, when people think I should be able to do this work alone or I should be able to do whatever alone. I always just think that doesn't even make sense because we are so in our own brain. I would never leave myself to figure out what's going on in my own brain. (laughs) I have way too many strategies on board to not see it. So just keep that in mind. You are safe to learn and listen and explore this stuff. Your system has has you where it wants you and where you are ultimately safe. Another thing to remember that you can do is you can put your hand on your chest and you can take a deep breath and you can remind yourself, I am safe right now. And then you can ask yourself, am I safe to explore further? What might that look like? And just notice what comes up. You might get a no. Your system might be like, nope, I don't want to hear anymore. It's totally fine. Okay. So looking, I'm going to look at this through the lens of the Enneagram of Lies introduced to me by Sandra Maitri in her book, Spiritual Dimension. Spiritual Dimension. The spiritual dimension of the Enneagram. There are lots of different Enneagrams. Traditionally, we look at just a few of them. We look at the fixations, we look at the traps, we look at the holy ideas. Like there's a few different ones that those of us that sort of practice and use the Enneagram 
are hanging out with, there's actually a lot more Enneagrams. I didn't know this until fairly recently. And one of them is the Enneagram of lies. So every type has a particular lie that their identity is really wrapped around. For sixes, the lie is idealization. And what idealization refers to is this relationship to authority. And the reason we are so oriented to authority is because our relationship to our own internal authority is tenuous at best. It's so hard for us to just land in our sense of things. Trust it, believe it, let it guide us without knowing what's going to happen. That That's another core thing about sixes is that sense of ourself connected to God, essence, truth. We don't trust it. It's sort of this cavernous space inside oftentimes. So we project that out and we're trying to solve for that internal lack of connection to authority in the external world. The problems with that kind of go on and on and on as adults. As kids, what else are you going to do? Truly, what else are you going to do? You're going to look out and you're very understandably going to be seeking guidance, protection. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense, right? We actually want kids doing that, I think. I mean, I don't know, maybe not everyone agrees with that, but I think we want kids learning how to be in the world from, you know, healthy, well-regulated external authorities. Uh, That isn't the case for most humans. (sighs) Just having a moment, being a mom Um, and a human in this world, seeing what we're all dealing with. Anyway, as adults, it causes us trouble to be foregoing. It's not that we look outside for things to trust and understand and orient to. That in and of itself is not a problem. It's that we do it in lieu of also connecting to ourselves, our own knowing, our own sense of things. This is really the crux of it. This is not an either or situation. Most Things are not either or. As much as our brains want them to be, they aren't. This is about balance. This is about running what is out there through our own sense of things, right? Through a balanced head, heart, and body. What we have usually is this sort of dysregulated sense of ourselves a head center that is not clear and online, a heart center that is terrified, and a body that is just trying to find our safety directionally one way or the other. So that is what we've got. And that's where we get everything that I talked about in the first half. And this is why we are so oriented to the outside. And when I say authority, 
We can make anything an authority. There's the actual authorities in our lives, bosses, maybe pastors, maybe um, who else is an actual authority? Teachers, any kind of teacher that we sidle up to. That's a big one for sixes. Anyway, you get the idea. Entire belief systems. So this is what we're looking at. Also spouses, um, significant others are definitely somewhere where we all, this authority stuff is in play. Yeah, friends can absolutely become authorities in our lives or we can become the authorities in those relationships. So I just wanna take you through the spectrum of how we orient to authority, keeping in mind authority, I'm putting in air quotes because we can make it anything and anybody. Okay, so on the the spectrum, we're gonna go from left to right. On the left, we're gonna have the, we'll say most phobic, most sort of aware of fear reactions. And then on the right is all the way to the most counterphobic expressions of this relationship with authority. Again, under this umbrella of idealization, which is this idea that there is a strong, reliable, uh, authority, that that is a thing that's out there and we just have to find it, right? We, we project our own sense of strength and authority and sturdiness. And instead of finding it inside, we're like, I'm going to find it out there. I have to find it out there. And so you've got an idealized authority. And on the flip side, like a small defenseless person who needs that authority, okay? At the far phobic side, we are identifying as the small defenseless person who needs that authority, who needs to be guided, who needs to be protected. And there's some awareness that we're doing that. Maybe there's awareness, maybe there isn't. But you can all ask yourself, like, when have I done that? I know for myself, so for myself, I have seen this at various times of my life when I have sought out belief systems. I sought out a strong partner to be with. I have sought out teachers that, not anymore at all, but years ago, you know, the teachers I sought out, I wanted them to be infallible. I wanted them to be, you know, strong and reliable and uh, not human. Totally would pedestal my teachers. Again, I'm, I'm going to use some of my own examples here and just by way of like sparking your own thoughts about yourself here. So on the far end, again, the left end, we identify as the small, weak, defenseless being who must find a strong, sturdy, reliable person that we can rely on, that will protect us, that will provide us the safety and security we seek. Now, this identification tends to be a six that does not think they could possibly hurt anyone or do any harm. Because that's not accurate, because we are actually all equal humans, spiritually speaking, I totally understand there are real hierarchies in the world. I get that. What I'm talking about is a more spiritual equal, as in we are all equal in the eyes of essence, God, the universe, right? That that those mm, 
you can see where I get real squirrely talking about that piece because I'm trying to like talk, like bring everyone along (laughs) no matter what your particular belief systems are. My body has a real strong reaction to attempting to do that. Not totally sure why. (sighs) Probably because it's hard. Okay, hold on. I'm going to regulate myself here real quick. See, oh, I just almost had a moment. The red flag moment. Kristen, you're screwing it up. You are going to offend someone. You're ruining it. That just happened. Because I'm aware, and I'm literally talking about it, I notice the discomfort rise up in me and start to kind of clutch at my heart and kind of almost bring tears to my eyes of like that fear. Because right on top of that that my brain is showing me now was like, you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to have these hard conversations. So interesting. Okay. I've gotten a lot of feedback that people really like to hear what happens in my actual brain as I'm doing this. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. What was I talking about? Okay. Right. We're all equal in the eyes of whatever the heck benevolent force you, uh, you know, adhere to. Okay. That being said, we don't operate that way. We don't operate like we're equal. We operate from, generally speaking, a one down position. I'm small. I'm weak. I'm defenseless. I need someone, something, some system to defend me, to take care of me. But I always kind of have my eye on how that might be being screwed up, right? So it's like, even if we feel tucked in, we're still on guard. We're still on alert. We're still watching for how that could be screwed up at any time. So that's hard. Okay, then you move along the spectrum. And you come to a six who is basically a rebel, at least internally. This this raising my hand over here, this is a very challenging place to be internally because on the one hand, totally rebellious systems do not do it for me. They do not uh, entice me. I like see all the problems with all of your systems and I can start to feel really rebellious and sort of, it gets a little like sort of up and over, right? So my sense, this rebellious posturing creates an internal, what feels like sturdiness, but it's very much against, it's very much against things. I'm finding my footing by being against, which still means, and this is a little tricky to understand intellectually, I can very much feel it in my body. I have no problems understanding it somatically, what that's like. To intellectualize it is like, I need the things, I need the sort of external authority to push against, to feel myself. So it's still an orientation to the authority rather than just sort of having my sense of myself. Okay, hope that makes sense. Then there's all the way to the right side of the spectrum when a six essentially becomes in their mind that idealized authority. And then what is really icky about this part is that's when they're the idealized authority. They then need the small, weak, defenseless 
people to pay attention to them, to kind of prove to them that they are that strong idealized authority. This is why we get people comparing uh, or using the six archetype for some of the worst in human history. It's this sort of full, I've become the strong idealized leader. That six is actually not one we want to be following because they're looking to prove their idealized strength by looking down at the people who are following them. I can even see moments of that in my own life to bring this into like real life. I, uh, there was a time when I was a manager at um, a restaurant I worked for for a million years. And I literally remember, (laughs) so embarrassing, telling people that like, like the people that were sort of under me, I was the manager. And I I remember this one particular one where this server, I was in a working restaurant, he was very upset at some clients. And I can feel it. I look back and I can feel I sort of rose up and over and was like, you don't get to be upset, right? You need to go basically you little peon and handle your business whatever, just rude. Okay. A whole lot of the really rude bosses that everyone thinks are eights are counterphobic sixes who have boom, plopped into this. I am the idealized authority and you will obey and do what I want and not challenge me, all that stuff. So I wish these examples were used more in terms of like when we're talking about instincts and we're talking about these things, because in real in the real world when we're not comparing sixes to you know the worst dictators that have ever lived when we're talking about like that really crappy boss you had <laughs> who maybe actually attacked you and wouldn't listen to you they might have been a six as opposed to everyone's like oh eights blah 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 well not necessarily also we can exhibit these different parts of the spectrum in different parts of our lives So yeah, I know that I have been in that really dangerous uh, counterphobic spot. I know that I've been there in my family. I know it. I know I have. I've also been there in other places in my life that I can look at. And I know too, I have tucked into this, I need a person, never a system for me. This is just really interesting to look at. Where am I putting my sense of strength and trust? Where is it? Where is it? Where have I taken it over? Where am I pushing against? I have a whole episode coming, by the way, that's called Against All Things because I just, for some reason, that is... I don't know, it just keeps blaring in my mind. So I'm going to record that. And where am I really acting like I, as an adult person, am a small, defenseless weakling who can't get on equal footing with the other people in the world? Where is all this stuff showing up for me? Again, this is not fun. This is not pretty. This is so much the key of what will set you free if you can kind of get some of this stuff 
worked out because it humanizes everybody. It humanizes the whole dang bunch of us, which I am just a believer that that is an easier way to exist in the world. I can't always access it. For sure, I cannot always access it. But when I can, I can literally feel like my whole system because it's like a it's like a right sizeness. This whole journey is about getting right sized in the world with other humans, which means bringing a more uh, like filled up sense of who we are, a more balanced version of us to the table and not idealizing other people or needing to be ideal ourselves. Because guess what? None of that has ever actually happened in the history of humaning. Okay, I think that is it for this one. That was a pretty broad overview. I hope with enough specifics to really start to bring this home for you and help you orient to the ways that these patterns exist in your life so that you can start to potentially get some distance and freedom from them because acting out our patterns is not freedom. It's just doing the things, our subconscious things we need to do to be safe, which is just different than living an uninhibited life. Okay, sixes, more soon. Bye. Okay, sixes, thank you so much for listening. Thank you again for the reviews that you're leaving for the podcast. They are really special. I so appreciate them. And it's just such good reassurance that what I'm doing is actually making some sort of impact and that all of this self-revealing is somehow worth it. So thank you again. And send me your questions. Send me your podcast ideas. I'm here for all of it. You can do that via my website or email, both of which are linked in the show notes.